What up, Vineyard? Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if this is your first time, really pleased to have you. Um, if you keep coming back, that's, that's amazing. We're glad you keep coming back as well. Also, uh, before we start the message this morning, um, we need to just do a little, we need to do a little uh, family prayer for a minute. Is that all right? Um, some of you guys may have seen on the Facebook wall that one of our little kids, uh, Freeman Gingrich, nearly had his foot cut off this week in like a, like a push mower accident. Okay. Heather, how old is Freeman? He's six. Okay. Yeah. Um, pretty serious. They, they were able to, to, you know, surgically stitch things back together. But as you might be aware that when you cut through bones, uh, infection is a really big deal. And so we need, we need to pray uh, that his foot is preserved because they're talking either this thing gets better or they amputate. Okay. Um, and that's no way for any six year old boy to grow up. So let's just pray here for a minute. Uh, father, we, we love you and we cry out for the power of mercy right now. God, we ask that you would send the spirit to Freeman's hospital room and we speak to Freeman's little foot and we command bones to come back together. We command tissue to be healed in Jesus' name. We release the power of Jesus over this foot. We release resurrection life in that room. Uh, we come against infection of every variety. We tell infection to die in, the Jesus, in Jesus' name. Infection, go in Jesus' name. Pain, leave in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you would do a complete, complete healing work. 100%. 100%. Church, let's just cry out for a second. 100%. All right? 100%, Father, we ask for 100% mercy over Freeman's foot. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. So, hey, do me a favor. When you guys think of it, let's pray for him, okay? This is one of those things we need to pray for often. Often, often, also. Great, 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 great. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. This is the last message in our Colossians series, The Cosmic Christ. And um, yeah, man, let's do that. Hey, let's begin by just uh, reading the scripture this morning. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, how, how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you about... All my activities, he is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we, how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've been a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear... For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. It's interesting that the scripture mentions not the man's house, it's the woman's house. This is very countercultural. In verse 16, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. That's an amazing word. Church, I want, you to, I want, I want all the church to go to this one guy and tell him that he's got a ministry in the Lord. That's amazing. I love that. And then I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. Um, Colossians chapter 4 is one of those passages in the scripture that's subtle, but it it packs a wallop. Um, It looks like one thing. Like when you just read it, it looks like this one thing. And without not being that thing, while totally being that thing that it looks like, it is at the same time something else altogether. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, if it were a song or if it were an album, I'd call it a creeper. You guys ever have a have an album that's a creeper you know what i'm talking about like maybe you have a band and maybe your band puts out several albums and you love them and then their third album is like so different that you don't know what to do with it and you don't immediately like it at the beginning but because you love the band you just continue with it and like the fourth time you listen to it it starts making sense anybody know what i'm talking about yeah so one of my favorite singer songwriters is this guy named ryan adams and like eight years ago ryan adams maybe longer than that, eight or nine years ago, Ryan Adams put out an album called Cold Roses. And the first time I heard Cold Roses, I didn't know what to do with it. And it wasn't even like I didn't like it. It was just that I didn't get it. I literally didn't get it. I remember listening to it and going, I don't get it. But I stayed with it because I liked his other work so much, and I just kept listening. And somewhere along the fourth listen through, it just clicked, and I got it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is like The Grateful Dead meets Neil Young meets country music. And until that comes together, you don't get it. But then you just get it. And it's the, sort of the same thing with Colossians 4. On, on the first reading, Colossians 4 is just a bunch of loose end. And it's a bunch of random thank yous. Or worse yet, it's random thank yous about people you don't know. Anybody in here have that friend who's always telling you stories about people you don't know? <laughs> so weird. Heather and I have this friend... Good person. And every time we're together with this friend, this person tells us all these stories about people we don't know. And then they leave, and Heather and I look at each other and go, don't they understand? We don't know those people, and we don't care. Like, I mean, I care a little bit because it's about your life and your whatever, but it's like, I don't know them. Like, you, you, it's just random names. Like, your great aunt who, I don't know. And so Colossians can sort of be like that. It's like loose ends with random thank yous. Worse yet, it's about people you don't know. But anyhow, the Apostle Paul is not just throwing out bouquets and thank yous left and right. It's something more than that. 
At first glance, Colossians chapter 4 also looks a bit like a church directory. Can we put that little slide back up, my title slide? But I would like to suggest that it's more than a church directory. I especially like this guy right here with the bolo tie. That guy woke up one Sunday morning and he's like, listen, babe, I need you to press my like country and western shirt. And I need to know, you know, the bolo tie, like, no, not that one, but the other one, the cool one. Yeah, there's a way of reading Colossians 4 that seems a bit like a church directory. And we all know that there's nothing more awkward than the church directory, right? Because what are church directories? Well, church directories are those really terrible and awkward photographs where, like, you know, dad has on a tie. Like, and he never wears a tie, right? He wears a tie twice every six years on the two times that somebody decides they want to do a church directory. Dad puts on a tie, and there's nothing more awkward than a man who doesn't wear a tie wearing a tie. Like, he hates it. You can, he's seething. It comes through. The photograph, they have to do lots of extra red-eye reduction. And, you know, little brother's, like, picking his nose. And middle sister is prim and proper and perfect. And then older brother is, like, just pimple head. And then mom is gritting her teeth, hoping that everyone will be good so that she can finally have a good picture, you know. So on one level, Colossians chapter 4 is this, it's kind of like a church directory. It's all these names, people we don't know. And to make matters worse, to make matters worse, not only is it a list of names in the early church, people that we don't know, but it's also a list of names that are really weird. Names like Tychicus and Aristarchus. These names sound like the sort of things that if you had them on your skin, it sounds like a skin disease. And if you had Aristarchus, you would go and get a penicillin cream to put on that. Right? Dude, don't, don't touch him. He's got Aristarchus. You know, just stay away. He's got Tychicus. Don't hug him. Don't kiss him. It's, it jumps like Tychicus can actually jump six inches off of one arm. We have a little section at church. It's for the front rows for everyone that has Tychicus. Luckily, it only jumps forward. So it's a list of names. Uh, we don't know them. And the names sound awkward. So, like, what's the point here? Well, the reason I'm, I'm saying this is because all of this adds up to this temptation. And it's a temptation for you, and I know it's a temptation for me. And the temptation is this. Uh, we are tempted just to skip Colossians chapter 4 and go right on to First Thessalonians so that we can get something, right? You guys do that, don't you, when you're reading Bible? Like, when we come to genealogy, just like, just right out the door and... It's how I've treated Colossians my whole life. I like I read Colossians chapter one through the end of Colossians three, and then I come to chapter four, and I know it's a bunch of weird names that sound like skin diseases, and I just skip over them, and I go straight on to Thessalonians so I can get something. That's the temptation. But what I found is, if you get really quiet, and if you listen, and if you settle, and if you let your heart get quiet enough to discern the whisper of God, you begin to hear the voice of the Spirit. And the Spirit is saying a couple things. I'd like to talk about 
a few of the things that the Spirit is saying from Colossians chapter 4. And the first thing I hear this, the Spirit saying is this, that the, that the kingdom of heaven or, or the kingdom life is a communal life. It's a communal life. Look at all the names. Like if you got your Bible open this morning, you should just look at all those names. There's 10 different names. Paul names 10 different people in about 12 verses. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark the cousin of Barnabas, Jesus called Justice, Epaphras, Luke the physician, Demas, Nympha, Archippus. Ten names in just a handful of verses. And one of the things that the Spirit is saying is that the kingdom life is a communal life. The kingdom life is a communal life. Ten verses. Ten names in just a handful of verses. The kingdom life is relational. Life in the kingdom is about friendships. And life in the kingdom is about coming out of isolation and into family. But there's this tendency to read the Gospels and to see Jesus, but to miss the Jesus who's sharing everything with Peter, James, and John. Uh, this is really normal. We like come to the Gospels, and we know that the Gospels are essentially about Jesus. And there's a temptation to read the Gospels as though they're, they're simply telling the story of Jesus, not realizing that it's the story about Jesus and that he chose these 12 guys. Uh, there's this temptation when we come to the letters of Paul. Uh, the epistles that he wrote, and especially when pastors are preaching them, there's a temptation to make Paul the superhero, and then we miss the the context in which Paul was working, and we don't realize that so much of Paul's work wasn't just Paul's work, it was everybody's work. It was everybody's work. There's this tendency to see Paul as amazing, and the church as a bunch of screw-ups, and we just, like, we, we, you know, we need him. But the kingdom work is bigger than that. God's kingdom work is a really big work. And some of us are like, well, duh, yeah, of course I know that. But then I would ask the question, well, do we really know that? Because sometimes some of us position ourselves and we work and we try to engage our call. And we try to begin to step into this gospel work, this kingdom life. And we do it in such a way that we don't need other people. We begin to try to work with Jesus. We begin begin to try to engage our call in such a way that we don't need other people. Uh, We begin to try to just go ahead and, and fulfill whatever we feel Jesus is asking of us in such a way that I don't really have to engage with anybody here. Uh, And we call it efficiency, right? Uh, We have all of these, all of these words that are being applied to the church right now, uh, things like efficiency, uh, things like streamline. We call it being streamlined, you know? I just want to be, I want to be targeted. Some people are not so targeted. Some people are like generalists, but in the, I just feel God calling me to be targeted and to be a surgeon and to be sp- specific. I want to tell you that stuff's garbage. Here's why. Here's why it's garbage. Because streamlined and efficiency has nothing to do with God's kingdom. Efficiency is not a supreme value in God's kingdom at all. It's a supreme value in business, and we have multiplied these business principles over into the church. Anything we can do to make it streamlined, anything we can do to make it efficient, let's be surgeons, let's be targeted, let's be laser-like. None of this has to do anything with God's kingdom, because God's kingdom is not primarily efficient. Well, how do we know that God's kingdom is not primarily efficient? Well, the main way we know that God's kingdom is not primarily efficient is because uh, Jesus chose Peter, James, and John when it would have been a lot quicker, a lot simpler, and a lot more efficient if he hadn't. 
sort of a big deal. So we've got this kingdom work, this list of names. It's not just Jesus, it's not just Paul, but around Jesus are the twelve, and around Paul, these ten names, people who have been helped. And one of the things we see is that God's kingdom is a relational kingdom. It is a kingdom of friendships. It is a communal kingdom. And we see that efficiency is not the number one value. It may not even be a value at all in God's kingdom. John Wimber used to say that in the vineyard, everybody gets to play. Sort of a famous John Wimberism. Everybody gets to play. How many, of you have, how many of you understand that in the world, only a few get to play? Right? In Major League Baseball, just a handful get to play. On American Idol, just a handful get to play. Out in Silicon Valley, just a handful get to play. But in God's kingdom, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. Every single person. Why? Because God's kingdom work is big. It's broad. It's wide. It's relational. And it's not primarily concerned with efficiency. What this means is that you'll never be who you're really called to be without me. And I'll never be who I'm really called to be without you. You'll never be who you're really called to be without the person sitting behind you that you don't know or the person to the left that you really don't like. It's true. It's really, really true. You see, life in the kingdom is about the connections. It's in the connections. The life, the actual life of Jesus is in the connections. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That'd be Jesus. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God's kingdom work is like a body. God's kingdom works like a body. And every person in this room is a part which supplies other parts with life. Some of the life in your body right now is coming from other parts in your body. Meaning that every single person in this room, if you want to have life, and not just respiration, not just inhale and exhale, not just a beating heart, but if you'd like to have abundant life, the sort of life that only comes from Jesus, you can't get it from just believing in Jesus. You actually have to be sitting in the room and you have to be living, walked out love relationships with the other people who are in this room. Uh, what this means is that it's entirely possible for you to come to the vineyard and be here every Sunday and not have life. Like being here is not enough. You can't be on the outer orbit. We're going to get into this more. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can come and you know, put your hand up worship and just like go nutty or not you can sit there you can drink your coffee but until you have love relationships with the other people here you won't have abundant life Uh, body parts supply life to one another there's an exchange and one of the things i see in the scripture here in ephesians chapter 4 that not only is there life but more specifically paul says that when each part is working properly it makes the body grow how many of you all would like to grow like you don't want to be like an immature loser for the rest of your life you'd like to grow up and be a mature person um 
So I see two things. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. If you'd like to grow up and be mature, you've got to be connected to the body. And secondly, it, so that it builds itself up in love. How many of you would like to be the kind of person who is regularly having uh, encounters with the love of Jesus? Yeah, I would hope every hand in the room would go up. Like encounters with the love of Jesus. Uh, the church has the message of the love of Jesus, uh, which is just, it's essential. It's, it's core of the gospel, the love of Jesus. He loves people. Um, one of the troubles is, is that most of us who come and sit in the chairs never experience the love of Jesus. And that happens for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons it happens is because we've primarily made the love of Jesus sort of like an intellectual theological construct. It's like, it's like a little, we get a theology quiz. We, we, we deal with it as though it were a theology quiz. Uh, God is uh, A, uh, scary, B, uh, Lord of everything, C, love, D, all of the above. And, you know, we freak out and do D, you know. Uh, when when the we assume that encountering the love of Jesus is some sort of test. Well, I'm here to tell you that the, we're, we're studying for tests that will never be given in heaven. And the love of Jesus is this thing that's to be experienced. And one of the main ways we experience, and by experience I mean feel it, not just know it as an abstract theological concept. The demons in hell know that Jesus is a good guy. That'll get you nowhere. I'm talking about have you encountered the love of Jesus? Like... In your body, in my mind, do I have assurances? Do I feel free? Like if I encounter the love of Jesus so much, I just feel like light. Ever, ever in your life. Would you like to? Well, if you'd like to, you've got to be a part of Jesus' body. You've got to be connected to relationships, living and sharing life. If you want to grow or feel the love of Jesus, you've got to be a part of his body. And so one of the things we see in this passage is that there are some amazing promises And you can't just unplug from it. You can't just unplug. You can't just disconnect from the church and hope to do well. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, our connections together, they're more than just... It's more than a connection. In fact, connection is a cheap word. It's more than that. It's, it's blood and sinew. Uh, sometimes when we think about connections, we think about like just lamps that are get, they get plugged in the wall and you unplug it and or whatever, or a USB cable that's connected to your computer. And if you unplug it, well, you know, not a big deal. Your computer goes on. Everything's great. Well, it's not really like that in the church. Our connections are more than USB cords or power cords to your lamp. It's actually blood and sinew. We're connected at a spirit level. And because of that, because of that, we need to treasure this and treasure one another. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but but a body can live without a toe, but a toe cannot live without a body. Sometimes we're like, man, you know what? Jesus is great. The church sucks. I'm out of here. And all we did is we just, we, we were the toe and we just started running away. How many of you understand that that toe who's running away, this is not going to end well. Like somebody, get that guy on ice, right? Get him on ice, call the ambulance, let's go to Louisville. Yeah. Here's the truth. The truth is, if you're really a part of a Christian community, if you're really a part of the, the happenings, the life, the shared life, the, the love and the affection and the growth and the teaching and the, the caring for one another, if you're really a part of that and then you run away, we'll miss you. Like, we'll really miss you. And there's a chance that some of the people are going to cry for you when you run away because it'll be painful, right? But the body will go on. I don't know about that toe. Somebody get it on ice. 
So the life, it's the life, it's the growth, and it's the experience with Jesus' body that's in this thing. One of the things we see from Colossians 4 is that in all these names that God's kingdom work is a communal work. And sometimes we struggle with Christian community because it can be painful. Anybody in here ever been hurt by the church? Come on in. It's it's your, hey, listen, uh, if you haven't been hurt by the church, hang out. Hang out. It's one of the ways we define membership here at the Vineyard. Uh, We don't have membership. We don't have anything for you to sign. Uh, If you come from another church, you can keep your letter. If you leave it, I'm not mailing any letters. We don't do that. We don't have it. What is membership at the Vineyard? Well, membership at the Vineyard is you getting hurt or angry and deciding to come back. That's when you know you're in. Yeah, so... Sometimes we struggle with Christian community because it can be painful. But one of the things we need to understand about this this group, this thing we call the body of Christ, is that there are different kinds of pain, and the different kinds of pain are important. Sometimes we just lump all pain together as bad, not not realizing that some pain is not bad. It's actually a manifestation of growth. What do I mean by that? Well, how many of you remember when you were like 11, 12, or 13, you went through puberty and you couldn't sleep at night because your knees were hurting? right? Like growing pains. There are, there's such a thing in a growing body, in the body of Jesus, there are such things as growing pains and growing pains are not bad. They're good. Like we don't want to be three foot seven forever, right? We want to be, we want to be six foot nine, 240, got a shot from 40 feet and an attitude like a black mamba that eats people. That's what I'm praying for all of my sons. That's what I want. I, I pray I, every night when they go to bed. I just put my hands on them. I say, 6'9", 240, 4'2", speed, black mamba heart. I'm raising Kobe's at my house. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm raising up Kobe's. Not really, but we're trying. But not all pain is bad. Not all pain is bad. Some pains come from just growing up. And this is the good stuff, and most of our pain goes in here. Most of our pain in Christian community actually goes in this part. We've classified it as bad, and we've used it as a reason to get like super offended and run away. When in fact, all that was happening is it was, a, it was a work of the Spirit to try to grow us up. We were trying to run away from growing pains. Well, what does that look like? Well, here's some of the growing pains. When you learn to get along. When you're actually here long enough, you share some life with people and you go over to each other's house and someone says something and you didn't really like it, but you just get over it and work out. Work it out. That's a growing pain. Like if Aaron and I get a little bit mad at each other and then we decide we're going to go have an awkward lunch where we work it out and maybe not, we don't talk a whole lot and he doesn't really eat his barbecue sandwich. And we just kind of sit there. But at the end of it, we work it out. He says what he needed to say. I need to say what I needed to say. And, he, and I ask him to please forgive me because I've been a giant jerk. And he says, of course, I forgive you. And then later on, I go over to his amazing apartment. And we have a good time, like, cooking. Like, whatever. You know, we get, it, we get over it. And in getting over it, we develop maturity. It's a growing pain when you get over it with somebody, when you have to learn how to forgive. And here's the, here's the deal. If you hang around here, you will have to learn how to forgive. One of the things that people don't realize is that when Jesus was preaching Sermon on the Mount stuff, you know Sermon on the Mount stuff, right? All that stuff, like love your enemies, don't be angry, don't lust after people. That The main context for learning Sermon on the Mount stuff is your home and your church. Like, where are you going to learn how to forgive? Probably right here. Probably right here. 
And when you learn how to forgive right here, that's not bad pain, that's good pain. That's good pain. It's 12-year-old, pubescent boy, achy knees pain. Can't go to sleep pain. It's the good stuff. When you have to learn how to be okay with not getting your way. If you hang out here long enough, you will eventually learn how to be okay with not getting your way. Like you were invited in, someone asked your opinion, hey, how should we do this? And then you're like, well, I think we should do this. And then someone else says, well, I don't know, I think we should do that. And then the decision maker says, well, we'll do this one. And you're like, what? Well, what was that exercise? And then not only that, but <laughs> not only that, but <laughs> like, like you tell them what you think it's going to be. And then you also say, hey, if we don't do it this way that I'm kind of thinking, we'll probably have this kind of trouble. And then the person chooses the other way. And sure enough, you have the, they have the trouble that you told them they'd have. But when you learn how to not get your way, being okay with not getting your way, it's a sign that you're growing up. You know, you know what kind of person has to be, has to have their way every single time? Two-year-old. Two-year-olds. Those are the people over there in that little wing. There's some two-year-olds over here too. But it's two-year-olds. Some of us never come out of that over there. Always having to have your way, like crying, throwing a fit, like, I don't want to go to bed. You know, fall on the floor. You guys have seen this stuff, right? I want sugar. But we're about to eat dinner. Ah, you know. I want to go outside. It's 18 below zero. It's little kids who have to get their way. And it's actually a sign of maturity when we're able to have enough self-awareness to realize that it's not just me, it's us. And if it's us, then it's not always my way. So there's good pain, learning how to get along, learning to forgive, when we end up being okay with not getting our way. But then there's also the pain of dismemberment and the pain of mutilation, and these are totally different. These are much more serious. These are the kinds of pains that occur when not only do we get hurt, but we choose not to forgive. And I'm going to secretly hold in this pain against you, and I'm going to judge you by it. Like, you have forgotten about it. We, you think we're cool. I'm not cool. This is the beginning of the pain of dismemberment. Or when we try to isolate Jesus in the kingdom and the kingdom kind of life out of a body of believers. Sometimes people want to isolate their walk with Jesus or they want to create a vision of kingdom life that happens outside of a body of believers. That's dismemberment. It feels okay at the beginning, but it's only because it was a pretty sharp cut. Later on, it's going to hurt really bad. It's really, really bad. It flies in the face of all of our basic human tendencies. Uh, there's one thing that, there's many things, but one of the things that unites everybody in the room is that uh, we all hate pain. And so we do everything we can to avoid it, right? I don't know many people who are like, you know what, really love pain. I'm going to go jump in that fire. Most people don't do that. We avoid pain at all costs. Uh, not only do we avoid pain, but we want to be Superman. We want to be Superman. Uh, it's interesting to me that there have been superhero myths alive since people have been hanging out. As long as there's been a human and another human, I believe that there has been the myth of the superhero. And what I mean by that is that we're fascinated with the idea that there's this one guy or this one gal who can do it all. We're fascinated by that. We, we're captivated by this idea that there's this guy who is like... He can do anything. He can shoot lasers out of his eyes. 
Uh, he can stop bullets like you shoot him. It doesn't hurt. Or maybe he's like Neo. He can think bullets to the floor. Or like, and it's this, you, know, you can do everything, right? And we can, we can fly and just jump up and just go to Tokyo. Uh, we're fascinated by this sort of stuff. And right along with our superhero myth, it's not just that a person can do anything, but inside of the superhero myth is tucked this idea that that person never gets hurt, right? Like Superman doesn't get hurt. It's why he's Superman. Uh, He can fall down. In fact, he probably wouldn't even fall down. He only falls down if he wants to make everyone else feel better. You know, it's an act. Uh, He never feels the pain. And of course, all of this stuff is for the good of others, right? Except if you really think about it, if you had the powers of Superman, you wouldn't be good for very long you'd eventually start charging people. I believe that the proliferation of this idea across generations and across multiple storylines is telling. I think one of the things it's saying is that secretly you and I would like to think of ourselves as Superman and that given the chance, we are tempted to make this kingdom revolution a me revolution. We isolate because we don't want help or we don't think we need help. And we isolate because we don't want to feel the pain and we don't want to feel weak. We want to live as in a superhero, amazing, never hurt, never needing. We fall in love with our part and then we magnify our part into the whole so that we have something that everyone needs. And we become Superman alone, alone in the stronghold and all the rest of the people, all those little underlings are at home needing me. I think this is really common, especially in the church. We know that there's a chance that we could be hurt, and so we isolate. We know that Jesus is like an answer, and we want to hang on to Jesus and run away from you guys, and we perpetuate this Superman mentality inside of the church as if we could get away from the pain or an attempt to be the guy who has all the answers. And neither one of those has anything to do with the kingdom. In fact, they work opposite the kingdom. And we see it in the passage this morning. We see the opposite of that in the Apostle Paul. I want you to look at chapter 4 verse 3 look at what paul says he's talking to the colossians and by the way the colossians are not mature believers they're brand new believers young church baby church they don't know hardly anything about jesus he says at the same time pray also for us that god may open to us a door for the word here's what we got we got apostle paul raises the dead has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, gets literally knocked off of his donkey by the resurrected Jesus. How many of y'all would like to have an encounter with the Lord that was that real? Knocked off of his donkey, raises the dead, takes three missionary journeys through the Mediterranean area, planting the very first churches. Like he's showing up in cities and he preaches and people come to Jesus in the first churches. Like we're here because the apostle Paul was there. And this guy is saying, I need help. Would you pray for me? Sometimes we go to meetings and we think that we need to get prayer from the big dog. I love this stuff. (laughs) You know, it's like there's the guy, you know, the the prophetic evangelist, healing, preacher, amazing, never did a thing wrong guy. And he comes from out of town. He holds a microphone. He's God expert. And everybody's like, wow, that God expert is unbelievable. And man, I'm a really broken person. So I need to get prayer. And the only person in this room who could pray for me is that guy. What we don't realize is that guy probably needs you to pray for him more than you need him to pray for you. It's really true. The Apostle Paul is the guy asking for prayer. 
You see, one of the things I hear the Spirit saying to us this morning is that spiritual maturity never outgrows needing help. We have definitions of maturity that work like this. Maturity is not needing help. It's not true. If the Apostle Paul needed help, I'm pretty sure there are areas, times, and places in your life and in my life right now where you need help. And it's not an immature thing to say, can you help me? Can you help me? Uh, One of the things I've noticed in pastoral ministry is that people tend to be one thing or the other. Uh, Either people tend to, on the one hand, be like super needy broken people. And we got some super needy broken people in the room. Uh, And there's nothing even particularly wrong about that because the Lord is near the brokenhearted. But sometimes people get like all their identity from their brokenness. Like, 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 you know, and it just spews. It just, it's all the time. Like, I don't help people because I'm someone that needs help. Like, I was, I was, I have a terrible home and my dad was awful and he beat us up and he screamed. And I'm not making light of any of those things because they're real. They're things that have happened in this room to real people. But at the same time, sometimes people just totally identify with their pain and they're never able to help anyone else. I'm here to say that's not Christian maturity. You're not just a broken person. You're made new in Jesus. You're a new creation. Yes, some stuff happened. And yes, you probably do need help. And yes, you probably do need somebody to pray for you. But you also need to be praying for some people. And there's a good chance you're never going to get healed until you start trying to heal some other people like super broken people can you hear me yes but then there's these other people and it's the it's the superhero people we tend to go back and forth either one or the other very few of us are actually what the bible is actually trying to get us to be so there's the super broken people over here then then some of us are like i'm the super guy like like i don't need your help like you need my help like why don't you just sit down and be quiet so i can help you, you you've met those people right like you can't even begin to tell them like the things that are going on in your life. You get three lines into what's going on in your life and they're cutting you off, telling me what you need to do. And they're starting to like prophesy to you. And you're like, well, well, can we just take a prophetic time out so I can tell you what's happening? You don't even know what you're talking about yet. People tend to be one or the other. But neither are accurate pictures of the kingdom movement. You never outgrow needing help And you're never so broken that you can't be a help. That was pretty good. That ain't even in my notes, dude. I'm preaching in the anointing this morning. Watch out. I'm going to do some high kicks. I got on some tight pants, but I can still high kick, y'all. And in the spirit of Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, uh, I want to tell you guys some things that we need help with here at the Vineyard. Here's some stuff I'd like you all to pray for. Is that okay? You should get out your iPhone and make a note. Here's some things we're praying for here at the Vineyard. Uh, We are praying, and we've been praying for this at our staff meetings and especially on our Friday morning little prayer meetings in my office. We've been praying uh, that stone-cold unbelievers would put their trust in Jesus here at the Vineyard. And I'm not talking about people who like were a little bit mad at some other church and decided to come over here because they heard Hannah sang real good and Matt was the best drummer and they needed something new and more contemporary. Uh, though, if that is you, you're welcome to be here and stay here. I'm talking about, I'm talking about stone cold. I hate Jesus. He's the problem. Get the hell out of my face, people. I want those people to come here and meet Jesus and start loving him. Okay, and we've been praying for those people really hard. Like those kind of those are people I want. I want the I want people who are wrecked, shipwrecked people. There might even be some shipwrecked people here. If you're a shipwrecked person and you hate Jesus, oh man, we've been praying for you. Game's over. 
You know, it's like, that's how I feel about it. But I would appreciate it if you guys would start praying for these people. How many of you understand that Campbellsville is full of shipwrecked people who don't like Jesus and think he's the problem, but really they need to fall in love with him? And here's the deal. Uh, your argument is not going to help. Uh, your argument is not going to help any of these people. Anybody who can be argued into Jesus can also be argued out as soon as they meet a smarter person. So we're not into arguments here at the Vineyard. We're not into sales pitches and we're not into manipulation. We are into the Holy Spirit falling on someone, taking blinders off and them going, Holy smokes, I've been wrong about everything. So we need to pray for that. Can you all help me pray for that? Please, please, please. Uh, And I think the key phrase uh, is, and we got this from the Lord, stone cold, unbelieving, I hate Jesus people. Those are the ones we're after. Yeah. Uh, another thing we're praying for here at the Vineyard is uh, we've been praying this year that we could make records and that we could write songs that bless the Big C Church all over the world. Uh, it's in our heart to to make music and to give uh, people language to love God. I believe that people in their heart of hearts, I believe they love God, uh, whether they know it or not, and I believe they love Jesus, whether they know it or not. And oftentimes people walk around with an emotion or a feeling or an ache in their heart towards God, which has not been articulated because they haven't found the language for it. And I believe a song can cause a kind of union in a person's being for them to come together fully at who they are and direct it at who God is and have an encounter with the risen and resurrected Lord. And I believe that words can do that, but I believe that sometimes it doesn't happen because people don't have the language to articulate what they really believe in feel toward Jesus. And we want to write songs that help people articulate their great passion for Jesus. Can you help us pray for that? And I'm not talking about just like it would be a blessing here, but I want to write songs that are a blessing all over the world. I'm praying that the guys and the gals at the vineyard here, that we would write the next Come Thou Fount, Be Thou My Vision, Amazing Grace. I'm, I'm praying for a song that lasts a thousand years. Right? Right. I believe there's songs in heaven that are sung around Jesus all the time that, that people haven't heard or listened to or even know exists. And I believe that we could write it. I believe that we could write it. Uh, Here's the third thing that we're uh, praying for here at the Vineyard. And this is something I need your help in. Uh, We're praying that we would greatly exceed our budget this year. Uh, We have the biggest budget planned that we've ever had at the Vineyard. The budget alone was a stretch. And we've been praying that we would exceed our budget by $100,000 this year. Here's why. Uh, What is in our heart is this. Uh, We have a lot planned to do in our budget and we've been we've been hitting it so this is not like some like please give money we're hurting we're actually not hurting we're actually doing good but we don't want to just do good we want to do great we want to greatly exceed our budget our heart is that we would do every single thing that we feel god has planned and called us to do this year and we'd put a hundred thousand dollars in the bank and we'd go pay off our building next march that's what we want to do can y'all help us yeah. I mean, and, and you guys have been incredibly generous. So we're asking God to, we're asking God to get involved in a way that, that only the spirit can do it. Do you know what I mean? So let's invite him to do that. If that'd be all right. Okay. Moving along. Verse 11, chapter four, verse 11, still on this thing of needing help and being vulnerable. Uh, I, I think that verse 11 is the most touching verse for me anyway. In chapter 4, this is what Paul writes. He says, he's talking about three guys, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus called Justice. He says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've been a comfort to me. They've been a comfort to me. When Paul says that these guys have been a comfort to him, uh, that's just another way of him being able to say that he has at some point been discomforted. 
If these guys have been a comfort, what he's saying is, I have been discomforted. And I believe that the discomfort that the Apostle Paul experienced was, uh, was loneliness. Anybody in the room ever been lonely? How many of you understand that you can be in a room full of people and have lots of friends and still be really lonely? Yeah, it happens all the time. And it's a particular kind of loneliness. And I want you to look at verse 11 because the scripture is telling here, okay? Uh, the kind of loneliness that the Apostle Paul is talking about is this kind. He says, these are the only men of the circumcision, underline that, who were with me in my kingdom work. So what Paul is saying is we have to understand a little bit about him in the cultural context. Paul was a Jew, uh, but as fate would have it, and as uh, God oftentimes does, uh, he sends Paul to minister to Gentiles. So Paul grew up circumcised on the eighth day, going to the temple, uh, memorizing the Old Testament. Of course, there wasn't any other Bible at that point. Memorizing the Torah. Paul probably had the first five books of the Bible completely memorized front to back, never miss a jot or a tittle. Uh, he was raised up in that context. He, he was raised up with a heritage to the one true God. And the one true God ends up sending him to the Gentiles who don't go to the temple, who were not circumcised, didn't have the scriptures, and believed in many gods, okay? And how many of you understand that if that's your context, if that's the ministry that Jesus gives you, that you could be lonely hanging out with people who live in the same area but have, who facilitate life different than you culturally? Any of you guys ever went and hung out with believers like in South America? Like maybe you don't spend, like Travis, Travis and I have even talked about this. Travis once, how long did you go? Six months? Travis once spent six months in Peru and Travis is fluent in, in Spanish. And when he came home, uh, one of the things he told me was, I was lonely. Why? Because being an American gives you a worldview and it's really important. And the apostle Paul saying, man, I'm, I've been lonely. I've been hurt in my heart. I've been hurt. And these guys have been a strength to me. And even though he was with people, there was a particular pain. And it was the pain of losing touch with his roots. But these guys were a strength to him. And one of the things I hear the Spirit saying in all of this is that for me and for you, there will be unique pains in our kingdom walk. Every person in here is going to experience pain. We don't want to experience pain. We're pain-averse people. We want to be Superman, shoot bullets at us, they fall on the floor. But that's not how life works. There are no red capes in the kingdom of heaven. And we want to avoid pain, but you can't. And there will be unique pain that will enter your life because of the gospel call. It will take you into places. There will be weird lonelinesses, seasons of like doubt. Crazy things will happen to you. But the good news that I hear in this as well is that there will also be unique provision and that the provision will most likely be a person. So Paul... Paul experienced a cultural isolation while he's doing God's work. And then God provides him three men of the circumcision. That's Paul's way of saying fellow Jews who understand, who also went to the temple, who read the book and who memorized the Torah and who were circumcised on the eighth day. Fellow Jews, and they've been a comfort to me. They were a strength. So here's the bad news. The bad news is this morning, if you follow Jesus, there's going to be pain. And I know you guys have heard like uh, these uh, theologies that work like this. Well, Jesus was resurrected, and so that means that there's, uh, the victory is ours, and that it's all good, and we're not going to experience pain. Uh, that is bogus theology, and it is not true. Uh, in fact, the pattern for kingdom people is to be like Jesus. There is going to be pain, and there is going to be suffering. But the good news is that God will do a resurrection work out of the thing that's most uh, hopeless and depraved, and the thing that hurt you the most, he's going to raise the best thing out of. And, 
Every single person in the room who gives themselves to walking a kingdom life is going to experience some trouble and is going to experience some pain. And the good news this morning is that God is going to uh, also supply unique provision. And the unique provision is most likely going to be a person. Probably going to be a person. Like your friends are, your friends are not just important so that you have a place to go on Friday night. Like, like you, you need people. Like you really, really, really need people. We never outgrow our need of others. We never turn into Superman and there are no red capes. Now, some of us this morning are, are, are probably in the room and you might even be a little bit stirred. Some of us here are probably hearing the word of the Spirit. And in hearing the word of the Spirit, you feel a bit discouraged because you feel so isolated and alone. And you want to be a part of God's kingdom movement. Uh, Maybe you even want to be more a part of the vineyard. Or you want the kind of relationships that I'm talking about this morning. Like friends that don't give up on you and that sort of thing. And maybe you want all that, but you feel isolated and alone. You don't know what to do. Well, here's what you got to do. And I actually think it's really clear from the scripture here. So if you've got your Bible this morning, you should underline a couple words. Because starting in verse 7, when Paul begins to talk about his friends, starting in verse 7, there are two words that Paul uses over and over again in the next five verses. Two words in the next five verses Paul uses over and over again. Look at this. He says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful. That word faithful is used over and over in this passage. And the second word is fellow servant, servant. The two things that the Spirit is saying to us, if you would like to have these kinds of kingdom relationships where it's not just a lamp and and a plug and a wall, but it's actually blood and sinew, a connection that's more than a USB cable inside of a computer. If you'd like to have exchange of life that grows you up, makes you a mature person where you feel the love of Jesus, if you'd like to experience that, well then you need to be a faithful person and you need to start looking for a way to be a servant. This is really interesting to me. Paul, over and over again, uses these words in connection to his best friends in this church directory. These are the words that are all over these verses. And they're descriptors of those who are connected to Paul in the early church. And one of the reasons I believe that these words are so interesting is because uh, not only is Paul outlining for us the kind of person that has this kind of life connection, but he's also um, showing us what kind of people typically don't have that kind of life connection. Let me say it this way. It's interesting to me that Paul highlights faithfulness and service. It's, it's very interesting to me that Paul doesn't say, uh, and you need to receive Tychicus because he was a powerful preacher. If that makes sense. This is really interesting. Uh, Paul doesn't say, you know, uh, Aristarchus, he was uh, really rich and he gave us lots of money and he really helped us. Uh, Hang on to him. So the scripture is for us and the spirit for us this morning is not highlighting that powerful and rich people are the ones who are given to this kind of life connection, but it's to faithful people and to servants. And how many of you understand no matter what your station in life is and no matter how smart or how dumb you are, everybody in the room can be faithful and and everybody in the room can be a servant. Meaning that everybody in the room can have a life connection that grows you up and makes you feel the love of Jesus. The scripture highlights the servants and the faithful and the prayer warriors. And this is not the picture we might expect. 
the reason it's not the picture we might expect is because uh, for most of us in the room, we have magnified our Americanness into the gospel and assumed that the thing that the Spirit values is successful people. Right? It's interesting. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't mention like people based upon their successes. He mentions them based upon their faithfulness and their, and their servants. Like we, we assume that like God's favorite people are the successful people. But maybe, maybe not. It's a subversive picture to our notions of greatness and what makes a person important. So if you'd like to be in this morning, if you'd like to be a bigger part of God's kingdom movement all over the earth, if you'd like to be in and you'd like to have a more meaningful place in the connection, the blood and sinew here at the vineyard, then you need to be a servant. Be a faithful person. Be a prayer person and stick with your tribe. And I want you to understand something. When Paul's talking about faithfulness in these verses, he's talking about a particular kind of faithfulness. He's talking about a particular kind of faithfulness. This stuff, this stuff messes me up. The kind of faithfulness that Paul's talking about here in Colossians chapter 4 is the kind of faithfulness that sticks with him even though he's in prison. Which is to say, being the kind of person who's willing to continue to associate with someone even though associating with them ruins your reputation. See, one of the things that happens to us in church these days is as soon as something happens to one of my leaders or as soon as things start going south, I'll just run across town and find a cooler church with a better band and a a hotter preacher with more freedom. I'll just go over there, right? No, no, the scripture is highlighting for us the kind of person that is connected to the life of God. And it's the faithful person. And the faithful person is the kind of person who's connected and will remain connected even though my connection with Mike gives me a worse reputation. I'm going to be faithful to Paul, even though he's in prison. I'm not going to back up, even though there's a good chance that if I keep hanging out with a guy in prison, they may throw me in prison for the same thing. It's amazing. It's totally amazing. Not only that, but I love the fact that all of these names, these ten names written in these few verses, they, got, they were written in Paul's letter, and they've been preserved for the last 2,000 years. That's amazing. Guys who are in this book, every single guy who's in this book is less educated than everyone in the room right now. Had less money. And according to Andrew Simmons, was actually less good looking than you all are. Their names are written in a book that's been read for the last 2,000 years. See, the Spirit is saying something subversive to us about the nature of greatness in God's kingdom. It's the servants. It's not the brightest guys. It's not the richest guys. It's not the most successful guys. It's not the best looking. It's the servants. It's the faithful. Stick with you even when you're in prison. Those are the kind of people that God values. Those are the kind of people that get their names written in a book that everyone reads for thousands of years. So if you want in, if you want in God's kingdom movement, if you want in a little more, it's really simple. Really, really simple. Just start helping. Like volunteer in kids' church. Greet at the back door. Get up really early with Alex Pepper and make coffee. What time do you get here, Alex? 7.30. means Alex gets up at about 6.45 to come serve you guys coffee. Hey, hey, Alex, right here. High fives. Right there. Amen. Uh, host a home group. Like, literally. Host a home group. Or maybe lead a community group. One other thing about faithful servants is this. Faithful servants will let other people direct them, which means you don't get to choose everything. Willing to work anywhere. 
I uh, sometimes encounter this. It's like, uh, well, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not doing that. Okay. Maybe we just won't do anything. But faithful servants are willing to go anywhere. And every time I say that I won't, it increases my isolation and it narrows my possibilities. That's the problem with saying I won't. Like I don't, I don't do kids' church. Oh, well, okay. Every time I say I won't, it narrows my possibilities and it increases my isolation every time. I don't, I don't host home groups. I'm going to bring people over to my house. That's a bummer because you, you just like cut life right out of your life without even knowing it. Like that's the good stuff. It's weird, but when people come over and mess your house up, that's the good stuff. Yeah, man, when people come over and when they leave, you got a pile of dishes and your living room's a wreck and your kids' Legos are literally everywhere and it takes you four days to get over it again, that's actually the good stuff. That's the good stuff, man. That's where it's at. That's where kingdom life is at. You might be thinking, well, if I'm the kind of person who's willing to do that sort of thing or willing to go anywhere and do anything, uh, am I becoming the sort of person who's who it's possible that I could be taken advantage of? Uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Yes. Yes, it's possible. But I'm here to tell you it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Jesus isn't looking for doormats, but he is looking for people who lay down their life. You might have to do a, a doormat season. I don't know. It could be worse. You could get everything you wanted. It's God's kingdom call. Being a faithful and a servant person, being connected to people, not just coming to church on Sunday morning, but like living life with people. That's where the good stuff's at. Amen? Amen. Hey, uh, anybody in the room need prayer this morning? Like for anything? This is like this is the part of the meeting where I need uh, people to be honest and bold. And, and You need prayer? Why, why don't you stand up? Anybody else here need prayer? If you need prayer this morning, just stand up right where you're at. For anything, like just for anything, like you don't have enough money, uh, your body's falling apart, uh, you got mental problems, uh, there's a relationship that's like shredding you, uh, the dog won't pee outside, like anything. <laughs> from from like hectic problems to like whatever problems, like anybody anybody need prayer? Okay, anybody else? Last call. Okay. Hey, church, this is what we're going to do for ministry time this morning. Uh, let's just gather around these people, and we're going to pray for them. Okay, come on. Uh, lay hands on appropriate places. Uh, let's get the 10-second story of what you need prayer for. We don't need the three-minute story or even the 30-second story. Just.